We Infuse Podcast, episode number seven. Welcome to the We Infuse Podcast, where we take the confusion out of infusion. And in each episode, our desire is to give you really a behind-the-scenes look at the infusion industry, the clinical side and the business side, and to give you tips, tools, and a roadmap to successfully launch and streamline your current practice. And in this particular episode, we have Kevin Lyons on the show, and he's the executive director of the RNS, the Rheumatology Nurses Society. Really just brings a whole lot to the table, especially when it comes to equipping nurses, specifically in the rheumatology context, and also dealing with workforce-related issues. And that's what we're going to get into in this episode. So I will let you listen in. Let's get started. All right. Today we have on the show Kevin Lyons, Executive Director of RNS, that is the Rheumatology Nurses Society, and Amanda Mixon, a PA with the Rheumatology Practice in Fort Collins, Colorado. And Amanda is the Workforce Committee Chair for RNS. So guys, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks, Dylan. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yep. And we are at the RNS conference here in Fort Worth, Texas. I talked to some people I talked to, I sat at a table earlier with some ladies from, I think they were from Massachusetts or something and I asked them what they were doing in their spare time. And one of them went to see the, um, the deal where they, they take the cattle uh, through the, the streets. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, actually, we uh, took our board of directors on Monday night out boot shopping to prepare for our president's dinner tonight. And, uh, we got the tail end of the cattle drive. Nice. Then, yeah. Yeah. Fort Worth has been a great town for us. Really has. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, this is our actually, it's our 11th annual conference, and we appreciate we infuse coming out. You guys are exhibiting, hoping, how's the exhibit hall working for you? It's been great. Yeah, yeah we had, we, yeah, we did. We, especially the, the opening morning, there were so many people. It was really, really neat and really neat to connect with so many nurses. Awesome. I mean, because just like you guys, I'm sure, I mean, we, we attend a lot of conferences, and but it's neat to be so focused on nurses. Right. And, it's, and one of the unique things that you know has occurred over the past year or so, and that's why Amanda's with us today, is as a PA, she's the workforce committee chair on the RNS board of directors. And so the RNS is it was originally established as the you know, Rheumatology Nurses Society for registered nurses, and now we've added for registered nurses as well as nurse practitioners and physician assistants and PAs. Um, that allows us to take all of the education that we're producing and really share it with a broader audience and ultimately impact patients better. So for people listening to this podcast that maybe don't know about Rheumatology Nurses Society, can you give us just a little bit of background about what RNS is and what your mission is? Sure. So the RNS, we're a nonprofit association. Um, We are a specialty nursing association. So we were recognized by the American Nurses Association back in 2012 as rheumatology nursing specialties. Um, Before that, there wasn't a specialty. I mean, rheumatology is kind of new, per se, in the medical field. Uh, So as a nonprofit, you know, we are a membership-based society. We also are an ANCC, which is American Nursing Credentialing Center, um, uh, accredited provider of education. So we accredit all of our activities. And then we also produce the core curriculum for rheumatology nursing, as well as we have the scope and standards of practice for rheumatology nursing, which just today... The American Nursing Association has approved our second edition of the Scope and Standards of Practice, which um, Dr. Sherry Carter, who is a former president of the RNS, was the chair of that committee. And so we've really kind of taken the, the specialty role of rheumatology and nursing 
advancing it forward to provide the education. When we used to have conversations in the early days of, I mean, early days where we are only 10 years old, celebrating our 11th year, um, we would have these educational conversations of what is the, the educational gaps in rheumatology for nurses and advanced practice you know, uh, providers. And the gap was everything. There was nothing. There was not, uh, not any substantial body of education for them. So that's where over the years we've developed the core curriculum. We've held uh, 10 annual, this is our 11th annual conferences. Um, we have over 20 contact hours, but what's unique over the past year or two is we've also added in AAPA credit so that our PA friends can also come and join and take advantage of the education that's here. We also do some other things. Uh, we do a, a two-day forum series, which we did one in San Diego back in February. Uh, we have one coming up in D.C. in November, and we're doing three more next year, and that's, those are two-day intensive uh, conferences where we look at immunology, applied immunology to autoimmune disease. We go through a lot of the mechanism of action. We go through a lot of understanding cytokines, and then we flip it to disease state education and do a lot of focus also on gamification during our conferences, which I think is kind of innovative. We use uh, games like Kahoot and so forth where the whole audience competes with each other and, and the learning style. So it's super fun. And, and we, we're a big believer in all of our live events uh, if you have fun, you get the outcomes. And we always keep it light, we keep it polished, and everyone has a great time. So RNS is live events. We also produce the Rheumatology Nurse Practice publication, which is free for anyone. You can go to rnsnurse.org and sign up for that. Amanda has participated in a lot of those activities. And we also do a ton of dinner programs. We did just finished up a series in 10 cities on RA. Um, we have a new s series coming out on lupus where we're going to be in eight cities. Uh, here in the fall. So again, come to the or go to the website rnsnurse.org. Take a look. We'll have the schedule up there probably next week, and uh, basically come out with buy you a free steak and you get two hours of accredited activity, and everyone has a good time. And we also leave chapters behind. We have a lot of chapters out there. So one of the big things that I'm super happy to invited Amanda is we're really looking at workforce. The 2015 workforce report uh, came out and basically, you know, we, we were joking in the board meeting this week, we call it Rheumageddon. Um, <laughs> so it's the quote unquote impending doom of rheumatology. But seriously though, there's a shortage of rheumatologists, a shortage of fellowships coming in. And, you know, and many of your listeners, I would assume, would be familiar with that report. And the RNS is uniquely positioned to recruit, retain, and develop um, RNs, nurse practitioners, as well as physician assistants to come in and fill the gaps to reduce patient time, to you know get the patients the, uh, the care they need when they need it without them going through a, disease, you know, a severe you know, disease activity. Um, so we have a whole bunch of workforce strategy that we're going to be releasing. Maybe we can have another podcast another day as we start revealing that uh, to recruit RNs and PAs and PAs. But also we want to have some conversations and we have some webinars and some our own broadcasts that are coming up in the future that's going to be town hall like where we're talking to a lot of rheumatologists as well who have NPs and PAs in their practice. And we're going to have these conversations of how did you find an MPPA? What, you know, what was your experience with them? What was your concerns and fears with them? And, and how did you fully implement them into your practice, into a success story? So that's a lot. And I, I know this isn't a solo uh, podcast here, so I'll be fine for telling it. No, that's <laughs> great, though, because it's, I mean, it's so good to talk about these things. There's a lot of people that may not know there's a shortage. And I know I have a niece that just finished nursing school and 
I don't know if she knows there's a shortage sure. of rheumatology nurses. And right. I think a lot of people think, well, there's all these people in nursing school. The, the market might be flooded because it's kind of like at one time everybody wanted to either be a lawyer or a doctor, you know, right. and, and then, then you hear being, become a nurse, you know, you, there's guaranteed work or whatever, but there's still so much opportunity. Sure. And we know being in this space, there's a growing need for medical care and there's, new offices and providers just spreading up all over. I know on the infusion side, there's new infusion suites opening. It seems like on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And Um, the business models are changing rapidly. I mean, from the challenges with access to care, the challenges with, you know, the prior auths and, and all the treatment guidelines. I mean, it's a rapidly changing, evolving, you know, specialty of rheumatology, but with, you know, with nursing, um, it's, there's there is a shortage of nurses, but at the same time, we hear a lot of times that there's difficulty in nurses and students finding jobs, and that's some of our messaging that you know Amanda is championing of you know how do we get out there and build awareness of the special specialty of rheumatology, you know to you know RNs and the MPs and PAs, especially when they're coming out of college out of the MP and PA schools, and then also let them know that they're in high demand. I mean, we see each other at a lot of other conferences. I think we were at CCR, we were at FSR, and all the other acronyms of rheumatology scope. Um, And we get rheumatologists coming up to us at every conference, and they're asking us, how can I hire an MP? How can I hire a PA? Where can I find them? Where can I find an RN? You know, our infusion suites, you know, lagging behind because we, you know, our RNs are overtaxed. You know, we can't turn our chairs over, you know, the way we want to. And unfortunately, the answer is you can't find a rheumatology RN, AP, you know, or a PA or an NP easily. You have to generally recruit one from another specialty or a student or someone who's in primary care and then train them and then implement them. And, uh, and that's, you know, it's kind of a, a tar pit that I think, you know, rheumatology is in right now is finding, training and implementing, you know, to the point where you actually get the ROI from a business model. You get the benefit and ultimately the patient load, you know, gets taken care of, you know, and, and uh, they're getting the care they need. So there is a shortage but there's also difficulty in finding jobs. But then it's almost like red meat and lions for rheumatology, I think, because mm-hmm. even though there's a shortage, we have the ability of quickly educating NPs, RNs, and MPAs and put them into the workforce. So if you know someone who's an RN, MP, and PA that wants to come into rheumatology, there's a lot of practices we'd love to hire you. That's so helpful. And Amanda, on, on your side, being a PA at a, at a practice in Colorado, you're still you're you're also heavily involved with RNS and, and championing workforce issues. Um, what's what's one thing you know from your area of expertise as it pertains to workforce issues? What's what's something you would want our listeners to learn from your experience so far in that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know we all want to practice to the top of what our license is. You know, I think that's that's what I you know what I think about it. And I've certainly you know heard of friends or you know in school that are that are not able to do that. Nurses, nurse practitioners, PAs, and the thing I love about rheumatology is that you know it's a complex specialty, but in the right practice, you really can be autonomous. You can see these patients, you can diagnose them, you can watch them get better. We have these emerging therapies. And, um, you know, it's just, it, it, it makes my day to see somebody go from not being able to walk to walking again. And, and so this is a specialty that I really want people to cons- 
consider. I think a lot of people don't know about it. A lot of people don't know about rheumatology. I mean, I think probably most of you know the listeners to this do, but there's a lot of students that don't quite understand that it, it's a field that's not just you know elderly people with arthritis. I mean, it, it's fun. It's exciting. It's complex, um, and I think there's a lot of job satisfaction that goes along with it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I see a lot of before and after pictures, even at yeah. these trade shows or conferences that we go to. And it's, it's amazing to see some of these before and after pictures of patients that have these chronic diseases and they get these, these cutting edge procedures or treatments. And next thing you know, they're not, maybe not a hundred percent symptom free, but complete life change. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty amazing. You really, you really are changing people's lives. Truly. truly. Well, let, let's talk specifically about your experience in your practice on the, on the clinical side. Obviously in every practice, there's struggles, there's breakthroughs. Tell us about one of the big struggles that you guys have experienced in your practice. Um, you know, if there's a particular story you can share that could be an encouragement to others. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, that that's that's twofold because, you know, I think there's certainly a struggle of a patient that you see that's really, really sick and they don't have access to getting the medication that they need. I mean, that is something that, you know, you know, perhaps they don't have insurance or... Um, you know, we know that they need this particular drug and, and it's, it's a challenge to get it. And, and that is, is such a huge issue. Um, but then, you know, you know, we have, you know, drug, you know, we have the pharmaceutical companies that will help us that will get these medications for these patients. And you can actually see them go from, you know, feeling just completely like lost to again, that, that flip where they're doing so much better and they're in remission and they're then able to get a job because their, their disease is under much better control. And so, um, obviously, we have to always play the insurance company game. Um, but, you know, when we do get these medications, you know, these, you know, in, speaking of infusion, I mean, when we get these patients on these medications and we see them do do much better, I mean, it's it's a game changer. Yeah, that's great. And that's that's one thing we hear a lot, too. I mean, I I probably talk to different uh, one, two, three different practices a day sometimes from all over the U.S. And they all have, share stories of challenges and most of the time, I'd say those challenges are lopsided in the direction of access issues, mm-hmm. insurance companies, the whole benefits investigation process, yeah, and sure. just just trying to make sure that patient has access to that drug in a consistent ma- manner. And, um, and and really on that, I think you know this is another powerful part of RNS is you know our advocacy efforts you know that we mm-hmm. push out there. Um, we're part of a, a couple of different coalitions that are focusing on transparency and pricing. Uh, that focus on you know the pharmacy benefit managers and their role and, and providing transparency and illuminating that, and so you know that's another part of our NS. And, and I think you know back to your listeners is you know don't underestimate the power that you have of being able to affect change in policy. I used to think that DC was this complicated thing that you would have to be trained and do all the you know the stuff that was difficult to go to the hill and to talk to a, a member or, you know a congressman, um, but working with organizations like Arthritis Foundation, Lupus Foundation of America, we've actually have sent many of our board members, um, you know, up there and advocating it's so easy to join, even if it's to the point of signing onto a letter or, you know, calling your state representative, you can make those changes. There's a great organization that's friends of ours, a CSRO, which is Coalition of State uh, Rheumatology Organizations. 
Um, and they have a great website that also has a lot of information about how you can get involved and affect those change and some of the upcoming bills. I mean, there's, you know, uh, there's the accumulators and the, you know, a lot of the, uh, you know, part, you know, being part D things that are coming up. So I just throw that out there mm-hmm. to keep your eyes open and you can also make a difference on that. That's so great because we, we did another podcast episode a while back with Brian Nyquist from the NICA and just on, yeah. And on the infusion side, I mean, that, that's what the NICA does is provide a voice and a platform for pushing for patient access and all these things. And the infusion group he's with, or he's executive director with, um, you know, they were very instrumental in the part D uh, or part B, I'm sorry, uh, efforts that CSRO was working on. Uh, they actually, I think, got to the point where they were called by the uh, top person of Congress and said, please stop calling our offices because they were blocking our phone lines. I mean, they just rolled out this massive, massive, you know, advocacy challenge. So, you know, that goes all the way back to you, Amanda, is with, you know, access. I mean, ultimately, I mean, you see the patient effect of that firsthand, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I could only imagine as not being a clinician what that impact is when you tell a patient, well, there is help for you, mm-hmm. but you can't have it. Right. I mean, or, you know, you prescribe, you know, let's say you prescribe Remicade for a medic, you know, for a patient, and then it's, you know, two, three months later before the patient actually gets started on it because of these issues. And so that that's, yeah, definitely a challenge. Well, it's great to know people can link up with you guys, especially in for rheumatology and be part of a, a, a more influential voice and actually push forth for issue. A lot of people think, well, what can I do? I'm just, I'm just this one person at this one practice. And like you said, there's a lot you can do. And I'm a huge fan of, of taking initiative and taking action instead of sitting back and just waiting for something to happen. That doesn't work out too well. So that's great that you guys are doing that. Well, Going, going into another story, especially with the, the practice that you're involved with, Amanda, tell us one, just, I know you're a PA, you, you've, you've seen lots of patients, you've seen lots of things. What's one light bulb moment or, or big success story or just something really neat that you've experienced in your practice with a, with a patient? Yeah. Um, I mean, so I can think of, you know, I'm actually, I, I have a, one of the first times I ever used a biologic in, in, in a patient, and this was a patient with ankylosing spondylitis. And he was a younger, younger guy. And I started him. So he was, he, you know, he comes into the office, he's not doing well. And so we decided that a biologic is the appropriate therapy for him. And I'm very new to rheumatology. This is, you know, 11 years ago. And, um, about six weeks later he came back and he wanted to see me. He didn't have an appointment. And initially I was thinking, Oh my gosh, you know what happened? And what he did is he, 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 he went to an exam room and I came in and he, he bent over and he tied his shoes. And that was so significant to him because prior to being on this medication, he was not able to do that. His, his son had to do it for him. And that was one of those light bulb moments for me of, Oh my gosh, I'm in this field that truly can can change people's lives. And I have so many stories like that, but it just made me so, you know, encouraged about medicine and, and encouraged and just feel so blessed that I'm a, that I am a provider and that I'm able to do this, you know, and got me excited about teaching, you know, and teaching other students and getting them involved in rheumatology, you know, and so I, I try to do that, you know, take students, you know, get them excited about this field that, that a lot of people just don't know about. That's awesome. And I happen to have a family member actually that has ankylosing spondylitis and it, you know, now people know about it, but back, you know, 30 years ago, there weren't too many people. You wouldn't meet somebody that, you know, you knew, Oh yeah, I have a family member that has that too. Mm -hmm. But there at the time, you know, 30 years ago or whatever, there weren't all these 
therapies, um, or, you know, through infusion or whatever. So that's awesome. That's an awesome story. Um, from that, like you said, that was kind of a light bulb moment. What's one thing you would want our listeners to take away from that moment? You know, that, you know, and, and I, I will kind of circle back to, you know, I, I'm a physician assistant and, you know, I'm, I'm not a rheumatologist. I certainly don't claim to be a rheumatologist, but in this field, there is such a need for rheumatology providers and we really can make this huge impact. And we all can from a, from an NP perspective, from a PA perspective and from an RN perspective, our nurse, um, our infusion nurse helps us with the clinical trials as well. And so she's there, you know, helping and doing, you know, joint counts and 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 that's kind of looking to the future of what what future therapies that we're going to have so there's just you know it's an exciting time and it's an exciting time to be in rheumatology and there's so much that we can do not being the rheumatologist that's great yeah that's good to know because you think some people may think oh i I can't, I don't have much to offer that practice because my focus hasn't been rheumatology, yeah. but you're saying that shouldn't be a limiting barrier to, absolutely, for you to get into it. Absolutely not. I mean, in, in, and organizations like Arnas that have such great education. I mean, I can't speak highly enough. That's actually how I got involved in RNS is I saw some of their publications and I, I said, Hey, you guys have to incorporate PS or please incorporate us because we need that education. And, you know, through, when I take students, I actually show them the core curriculum and I say, here, take this home. Look at this. You know, I mean, this is what they learn from and we can get people that don't have any rheumatology experience and then they come into rheumatology and they're learning and you know then they're able to do the same thing you know same thing that i'm doing man i mean i'm getting i'm getting kind of stirred up to study rheumatology yeah, I'm, you I'm in software sales <laughs> well amanda just came off stage yeah, oh okay just, yeah just finished a couple of sessions here at, yeah. in fort worth at the conference but mm-hmm. no and it, it's true i mean there's such a need there there's such a need but also such an opportunity i mean we have a, a series of dinner programs we're doing next year that are actually engaging with NPMPA students um helping them make a decision as they graduate to enter into rheumatology as a specialty and you know we're telling them you know that the work-life balance of and just from a workplace standpoint is amazing you know to work in rheumatology you're not in the er at you know 6 a.m in the morning on a sunday or, or whatever um and it's and also if you want to be published if you want to shape the future of rheumatology yes. if you want to be involved in research if you want to you know really help invent how this world of rheumatology works i mean rheumatology is a fresh specialty now biologic therapies i think 15 16 17 years ago was the first one um so it's you know not saying it's brand new, but at the same time, you can still put your impact on it. You can leave your fingerprints on it and affect the future of patient care. Um, so it's, it's an exciting specialty for it. And, and with, you know, to Amanda's point, you know, on, you know, the practice and the light bulb element and things, one of the, the things that we're going to be really having a lot of discussion around the scope and, and license and what is the scope of practice? What can a registered nurse do? Um, I think that there's two things. There's a myth and then there's licensure. You know, and sometimes myth can turn into culture of, you know, maybe a practice is concerned about a um, nurse practitioner or a physician assistant seeing the first-time patient. Maybe, you know, they're only thrown the comorbidity management or only thrown, you know, fibromyalgia patients um, because there's not a trust there or there's not a comfort level there. I think there's a lot of opportunity to have discussions around that to say, what does that look like and how can we fix that and how can we prepare the workplace for the workforce? 
So if there's a workforce shortage and we're bringing workforce in and the nurse practitioners and PAs are going to be a, a huge part of the prescriber element of that. And of course, registered nurses is a fundamental necessity in the practice. You have to prepare the workplace. We have to talk about things like culture and job satisfaction and, and really scope of practice helping that be understood. So now you've got my, you've really got my interest peaked. So what, what do you think is one of the biggest myths that you would want a nurse to know if the, if the nurse is thinking about, or maybe even somebody that's not yet a nurse, but they're thinking about the opportunity of rheumatology. What, what's a myth that you would want well, them to deal with before they head that way? I think, you know, the myths I was kind of referring to is more within what can they do and can't they do. But to kind of demystify that a little bit, not to play off of that, is, you know, I mean, registered nurses, they can do joint counts. You know, they can run DAS scores. They can do a lot of, you know, a lot of those elements. Um, I'm not a clinician. I don't work in practice, so this is just from my observational understanding. You know, but, Amanda, I mean, you know, even with PAs and NPs, I mean, we've talked about, and we've talked to a lot of rheumatologists, and some of them can operate autonomously. Some of them can't. Some, you know, some, and it's not that they can't. It's just the practices, for whatever reason, that may be a, a policy or something they have, that they choose for them not to. And so we're looking at a lot of these models out there. Um, Dr. Caldron, he spoke at our conference this week. Um, he and John, Dr. Tesser have uh, great practice out, uh, practices out in Arizona. And they have a model where they have one rheumatologist and they have three um, advanced practice providers, which would mean NPs or PAs, working with that one rheumatologist. They have 27 advanced practice providers within their practice. And they're just, I mean, they're excelling. They're you know, and, and taking care of patients. So there's a lot of conversations around how can advanced practice providers scale a practice. And that's where I think there's some myths around whether or not, like uh, to, to, to segue a little bit, um, we have conversations at our exhibit booths many times with rheumatologists as well as industry partners. So we, you know, recognize the need of industry, the need of our biologic therapies, but even a lot of the sales reps from the industry, when we tell them, and they were talking to an NP or PA, and we tell them, well, you know, they're a prescriber. Well, what do you mean a prescriber? Does the rheumatologist need to sign off on your prescription? Well, no. No, they're they, based upon the state licensure of where they're at and what their scope of practice is, they can prescribe. We have uh, Iris and Zink, the immediate past president of the RNS. She actually is a nurse practitioner in Lansing, Michigan. She opened her own practice. So she is primary, it's her practice, and she has a collaborating physician agreement, but she prescribes, she diagnoses, and so forth. Again, it is not a competitive, or it's not a, a replacement for rheumatologists whatsoever, and none of the RNS board or any of the people we speak with ever say that they are, you know, in lieu of a rheumatologist per se, right. but at the same time, they definitely can scale the practice and ultimately you know, reduce the burden of, of wait times on patients and, and have the patients treated much quicker. Absolutely. It's a team. We are a team. So I have a wonderful rheumatologist that I work with, and he is there for me. And I talk to him, um, you know, about complex patients. And, you know, we go through things, and he teaches. And, you know, I've been doing this for 11 years, and I still am learning. And, you know, so, but absolutely, you know, we, we play a huge role, particularly moving forward. Yeah, and we hear that a lot too, talking with different practices 
all around the U.S. And of course, we talk to you know, rheumatology practices, gastro practices, neurology practices, but a lot of them from the business model side, which is what I tend to focus more on with my role at, at We Infuse, is a lot of these practices are structured that way, where you have a physician as that kind of plays a role of medical director <clears throat> for the most part, and then you have a nurse practitioner and PAs and nurses really doing a, a lot of the interaction with the patients. Sure. And we see that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. So like you said, though, not not at all to replace providers or anything, but it's just there is a growing kind of trend in that direction as far as scaling a business model. What would you say, and I know this is a tough question to answer because there's there's so many things going on, like we alluded to before. What would you say are, are you guys most excited about right now in, in rheumatology? Oh, there's so many things I'm so excited about. I mean, I really, I really am excited to see more PAs and nurse practitioners and nurses go into rheumatology because I think even 10 years ago, you know, it was funny when I first got into rheumatology, I rarely met anybody else that was in rheumatology. And now it's becoming more and more because people are getting excited about that. So that the future looks very bright for rheumatology, nurse practitioners, PAs and nurses. It really does. And people just have to open their eyes to it. That's good. It's a good answer. What about you? I, w- I would ditto that. I would also say I'm, I'm very excited about the educational strategy that the RNS is pushing forward next year. Because we realize that as these, you know, it's our responsibility to make sure that when a nurse, when a PA, when a nurse practitioner wants to come into rheumatology, that we have the tools and the resources needed for them to be able to be successful in their career in rheumatology and for them to stay in rheumatology and for them to also tell their colleagues about rheumatology and, and create a groundswell of activity into rheumatology. And so I'm excited about the educational strategy that the RNS, our board of directors and, and our committees, uh, I mean, they're just, they're phenomenal as far as, you know, their, their approach to education design, their approach to educational delivery. Um, their willingness to uh, sit with me in days and days of meetings, talking to partners to make it happen from a, a business model side. And so we have, we have an exciting 2019 ahead of us, um, and, and hopefully we'll be able to share some more of that with your viewers or listeners in the future. But again, if you go to rnsnurse.org, um, we also, you, know, you find a lot of information there. We're also very active on Facebook. Uh, we have probably one of the larger you know, rheumatology presences there, as well as Instagram. Instagram's been fantastic for us as far as getting news and bits and pieces of information out. And even you know, if you're listening, to, if you're listening to this, we also have all of our conference videos. We have a ton of educational content on our website that's available, even if you're not a member, because we believe in putting our best stuff out there. And then if you like our best stuff, you're going to come be part of the tribe and help us create even better stuff. And so come and visit the website, enjoy the. the you know, the material on there, check out a local chapter, look for a dinner program in your area. Join us in DC in November um, for our two day event, you know, that we have there on education and get involved. That's so good. Yeah. You guys are really equipping people and propelling them forward. So this is going to be one last question that again, is going to be hard to answer. What is one final parting piece of advice for our listeners? Well, I assume that a lot of these listeners are already in rheumatology, um, but stay in rheumatology. The future is bright. That's what that's what I would say. That's what I would say. And and I would just say participate. Yeah, participate. I think that's really good you know, too. Be a voice for your patients. Be a voice, you know, for your profession. Be a voice for your specialty. 
I love that. Yeah. Be proactive, not reactive. Get, get involved. Right. right. I, I love that. That's great. Well, guys, thank you so much for being on the show because there's a lot of our listeners that maybe may not be involved in rheumatology and you've just totally lit a flame to inspire them to think more about that. And a lot of our listeners don't realize resources that are available like RNS and now they do. Now they know they can tap into all those resources. So it's just great to share these resources with our listeners and we really appreciate you guys being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for the invitation. All right. That concludes our interview. And if you listen to some of the things they said, it's just critical to make sure you have some of those business practices in place. And that's really what We Infuse is designed to do to enable you to focus on the clinical side, knowing that the scary, stressful side of the infusion practice uh, you know, the benefits investigation process, the scheduling, making sure you have your I's dotted and T's crossed. That's what that software does is it puts that platform in place. And so if you haven't done so yet, be sure to check out weinfuse.com and schedule a demo to learn more about how we infuse can simplify the entire infusion practice. And uh, we are much more than a software company. We really aim to provide uh, tips, tools, and tactics that can help you simplify the whole process overall. This is Dylan McCabe with the We Infuse podcast. Thank you for listening and joining the program, and we will catch you in the next episode. Mm -hmm.